0: We're back. I, I was gone. We pushed pause on the series we were doing, um, and ultimately Tyler Island comes. He teaches on humility, and it's not that that's not a core value or something that's important to us. It is a, a vital component or piece of the Christian walk is humility, and it really fit well, but now we're picking back up those official core values that are documented as part of our foundational documents and and what I really think of and strive for as I lead this church. And this week we're studying the core value of authenticity. Now, if you're following along in a Bible or a device, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1. If you want to use one of the Bibles in the chairs, it's page 660 in those Bibles. You'd be welcome to use those as well. Now, as I was putting together the documents for the church, I mean, this is really before the church ever started gathering, before we ever uh, even were meeting in living rooms or or uh anything. I mean, before we were really a church, before we were really even talking about it to anybody. I knew that this was a an issue that I was I was going to be dealing with, and I knew that authenticity was uh, something I valued and longed for our church as it formed and and grew. To I, I longed for them to value, and I longed for you to value, but. I almost just skipped right past it and didn't put it as part of our paperwork, didn't put it as part of our foundational documents or anything that was, was, was going to guide the vision and shape the, the mission of the church. And the reason was because authenticity had, has become this buzzword in Christian circles. I mean, it, you, you look on every church website, you look on, on any church paperwork and you're going to hear them talking about, especially newer churches, you're going to hear them talking about this thing called authenticity because everybody's about authenticity. In the 70s, as the church growth movement began and and the church really began separating itself from culture, and and the culture really began to lose value for the church and began to deny the value that the church has in culture, the church responded. As the church growth movement started and as the culture began to distance themselves from the church, the church responds and they're like, oh, this is what we need to do. We've got to be authentic. We we need to be like Jesus. We need to be authentic. And here's the problem with that. I I really appreciate it. Actually, I think it's important. But what I've found is, I studied that, as I read about it back when I was first putting all this together, and this is not just for the sermon. I'm talking years ago before we were meeting as a church. What I found was people began and started with authenticity and defined it in unhealthy ways. It became a distraction, I felt like. It became a buzzword that, that people began to define. Well, I, I define my life by authenticity. And I, I live this way because I want to be authentic. And often that was code for, I kind, of, I kind of stay in my sin, and I don't make a big deal about other people's sin because I want to be authentic. I want to be accepted. I want the world to like me. And you can see it today. Even in the, you go out and you Google authenticity and authentic Christianity, and you go out there and you can find it. You, you'll see it all over the place and every article I read this week as I was just refreshing my memory and 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 dealing with this every article I read started in this place with what we do they define authenticity based on what we do and so i want I just wanted to leave it alone but as I was doing this the lord convicted me not not this set of sermons as I was writing these this these these foundational documents for the church as I was putting this all together, the Lord convicted me. I want you to be authentic. I want you to be genuine. I want you to be the real deal. I want you to start a church that is genuine and authentic. I mean, if we're ever going to be, I really feel like if we're ever going to be the church that God intends us to be, we are going to have to get very real. Real with who we were before Christ but real now with who we are in Christ. You see, sometimes in this idea of authenticity, we want to dwell in this place where we used to live. We want to identify with who we used to be because we want to be authentic and be acceptable to the world around us. When in reality, Jesus is saying, if you're going to be like me, you've got to identify with me. See, if we're ever going to be the genuine, authentic church that God intends us to be, We gotta get real about who we were, but we gotta own who we are now and live out of that identity as opposed to, as opposed to what we used to be. If we're going to be, God God convicted me, if we're gonna be the church that He intends us to be, we're gonna have to get very real about actually acting on the things we say we believe. What that means is we're actually gonna have to start believing the things we say we believe. Because what you do is really rooted in what you believe. Do you see that? Do you understand that? There's a common common illustration for this, you've probably heard it before. It really matters in this church. If you've gone to this church very long, you know these chairs. You just never know what's going to happen. If you've been here, you know people have fallen through. If you're visiting, just beware. You are exercising a faith, a belief, that that chair is going to hold you up through the rest of the service. If you feel it sagging, you go ahead and move now. We'll be okay with that. But the reality is you're exercising faith. You're acting on a belief. If you did not believe it, you would not be sitting in it. You see what I'm saying? You see the point? What we believe directs what we act or how we act. We have to think about this authentic perspective. We have to think about it. We've got to get real with what we believe. We've got to be honest about it. We've got to quit covering up. We've got to quit quit just speaking in platitudes and get real about speaking about what we believe and actually believe the things we've been called to believe. That will direct our action. If we are going to be the church God intends for us to be, we've got to get real about what we value. And we've started into this series, Gospel Roots, and it's a study of our values and vision. We started into it because I want you to be real about it. See, I don't want to be a church that says, hey, we have these core values. But those core values really mean nothing to us. The core values are central to who we are. They're central to why we do what we do. The the core values, they should be important to us, not just for me, but for us. If we are as an organization, and we say we got core values but nobody cares about anything, or they don't value the things we that, that, that we say we value, then, then that's a lie. You see why this is important? So we can't be walking through and having this said faith. We can't be walking through life and having this, this perspective presented of us that's not true. That's one of the big problems the church faces today. And I think authenticity is an important piece of what we need to do as Christians but i think i think the way it works itself out the way we measure what authenticity is about i think that's where we need to that's where we need to really build our understanding before we can even understand why we value authenticity i think we need a good biblical perspective of what that authentic christian life is built on what it is about and so we're going to be in 1 john I mean in chapter 1 verses 5 through 10 if you'll just read along with me um We'll just see what the Lord has for us. He says, he writes, this is the message we have heard from him. Now let me just stop. This is the message we have heard from him, the message we have heard from Jesus. The context of the letter gives you that John and the other apostles were eyewitnesses. They saw Jesus, they heard from Jesus, and then they brought this message from him to other people. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin and we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now if you've done any study of the, the, the first letter that John wrote, the first epistle that he wrote, you'll know that there's a general overarching theme that runs all the way through the letter and that's assurance. He wants believers in Jesus Christ to be assured of their eternal life. He wants them to be certain of it. He wants them to be able to experience joy because of it. He wants them to sense a comfort and a peace in life because they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are alive in Christ. And there's a lot of subplots and subpoints that he makes along the way, but wrapped up all the way through that, wrapped up all the way through the letter, is an explanation of an authentic, real Christian life. He shows it over and over and over. And he starts right here by beginning to demonstrate what that life looks like. But where does he start? Where does he begin? This is the message we have heard from him. Here's the issue, and I've kind of already touched on it. In our contemporary push for authenticity, we start with what we do. But every biblical author, every point from Scripture starts with what we believe. See, authentic... Oh, man, let me just start that point over. Getting a little excited. My mouth won't go fast enough. Authentic Christianity is not rooted in our works but in the message handed down to us from Jesus. and I'm going to push this point, and and almost to a fault, I'm going to push this point, but I want you to get it. I want you to see it. And I want you to see the importance of it. This is the idea that's been presented over and over, all the way through this study that we've been doing. It's presented over and over through the Scriptures. let Let me just share with you the four weeks that we've been in this series, how we're seeing this message so important. The first week, as we spoke about the gospel, we studied the message of the cross from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul comes and he says, the message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness, it's stupid, it's idiotic, it's crazy, it's outlandish to those who are perishing, to those who are dying, to those who do not believe it. But for those who believe, it is the power of God. The message takes a central role right It's a distinction in the second week we talked about truth, and we studied about how God has been revealing himself He's been showing himself from the very foundation of the world he's, he's shown himself so clearly, and his eternal attributes have been so uh vivid and clear this is what it teaches us in Romans one that no one will have. An excuse. That means the people who are in deepest, darkest Africa, the people who are on some island out in the South Pacific that nobody even knows that they exist, and the people on top of a mountain in South America, even those people will not have an excuse. I'm actually pointing north, South America, on top of a mountain. That's the reality. No one will have an excuse because God has been revealing Himself. How does He reveal Himself? Specifically, we see it over and over through the Scripture. We we, we see it revealing Himself through the creation. He talks about Romans one, but then it also goes on in the rest of Romans to say that He's revealing Himself specifically in the Son. He's calling us to believe in Him through Jesus. The third week we talked about love, and again we referenced the message. In John, in, in 1 John chapter 3, where we talked about love, we referenced the message that we have heard from the beginning. This is not the message that we've heard from the beginning of creation, although there's a piece of it being presented. John is referring specifically to the message that we've heard since Jesus was here. He's talking about this same message now. The idea is, is that even our love is rooted in this message. The fourth week, We spoke about community. And again, God showed, and and, and it told us in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, it showed us, we heard the the scripture proclaim that God has been revealing his own grace, his his attribute of grace, his gracious attitude and work on behalf of people through his son, Jesus. And then specifically, he goes on to say that that work isn't just presented giving an opportunity for salvation, but becomes effectual and actual For those who believe in Him. You see, this message, this central core message is central to who we are. And our authentic Christianity does not start with what we do, but what we believe. The road to authentic Christianity is not getting you to do something. It's getting you to believe something. You see, that's the idea. And when we start with authentic Christianity by what we do, we're putting the cart before the horse and we're missing the point. You can't do that. There's all kinds of people out there who are striving to do this. We call them some of them we call cultural Christians. I was born in America. My parents went to church. I've got a history there. I'm Christian. I met I met an innumerable number of these in the military when I was in the military. When I was in the military, I was a cultural Christian. When they asked me what my religion was, I put Baptist on my dog tag. So if I died, I was going to get a Baptist funeral, a Protestant funeral. But I can tell you it wasn't until I was about out of the army that I became a believer when God saved me. I was a cultural Christian. Ed Stetzer talks about congregational Christians. Those Christians who show up to church every week, they may be your best attenders in church. They are, they're there when the doors open, and, and, they're, and they're there until the doors close. They're there on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday Wednesday night. They are there. And when you ask them why they have hope in Christ, they say, well, I was baptized. I show up to church, I sing those songs, I listen to the preacher go on and rant and, and rave and shout at me. I hear it when I get there, God will take me in because I've been going to church and been baptized. It's congregational Christianity. There's one I, I appreciate, or not I don't, I don't appreciate, but one I notice in, in our culture, crisis Christians. You know, those Christians who become really Christian whenever something goes bad. But we saw it we saw in huge form on September 11, 2001, after the towers came down, the, the attendance in church went up and it stayed that way for just a few months but once the crisis had was over you know what happened the attendance in church went down again and it was as lo- it was as low as it was before there was these crisis christians who showed up oh we need God we're out of control oh man i don't know what's going on and they show up in the midst of crisis. So these, it doesn't have to be a big, huge crisis. It can be a personal crisis. You, you've seen it on Facebook, I'm sure. If you if you frequent Facebook at all, I'm sure you see it. You hear it in the news. People have some struggle. Boy, our prayers and thoughts, our thoughts and prayers. They don't care about prayer most of the time, though. Yeah, you know, one of the things I I, I love the. I, well, I don't love it. It really it makes me kind of laugh, and I really should feel bad about it, but I do laugh at it. You say you're struggling with something, and there's always those people. I'm sending my prayers to you. Don't send your prayer to me. Pray for me on my behalf, but man, send your prayer to the Father God. Because you send your prayer to me, and it's I got no power. I think they mean well. I think they mean well when they quote their coffee cup verses, you know, those verses that, that make us feel really good. Oh, all, all, God works all things to the good of those who love Him. Man, He does. He absolutely does. But that doesn't mean that all things that you experience are going to feel good. Right? These crisis Christians, man, they don't say a word about Jesus ever until they see a crisis. Oh, but man, they're there for you. You see how deceptive our works can be, the things we do? They are deceptive if they're not built on a solid foundation. You know, the reality is there are a ton of people in the world today who wouldn't even claim to be Christians, but they do a lot of things that we would call good. They adopt children out of international countries that are less uh, fortunate than we are. They feed the, the, the needy. They feed the hungry. They clothe the poor. They work in homeless shelters and, and they do this because they, in the name of a love that they don't really even understand or get. But it sure makes them feel good. You see, the reality is, is that there's a danger on both sides of this because we look at a, we look at the works of a person without understanding what they believe. It'd be very easy to say, that person's not a Christian because they don't do the things I think they should. Or that person must be a holy, holy person because look at all the good they do. See, there is danger there. Authentic Christianity is not rooted in what you do. It is rooted in what you believe. Now, I said that and I pushed hard on that and I want you to know it. I, I want you to believe that. But, but, here's the reality. Good works are not the root of authentic Christianity, but they are the result of authentic Christianity. You see the distinction? We can see it in this passage. We can see it clearly in this passage. So here we have John, and he is giving us this message. Right? He's showing us this message. He says this is the message we have heard. He starts at the message, so we're going to start at the message. We're never going to get past the message. When you come here on a Sunday, I'm not going to give you a list of do's and don'ts by itself. I'm going to tell you believe in Jesus, and because you believe in him, do and don't. Right? We're going to start at the message. This is the message we have heard. What's the message? God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He sets up the character and the the, the righteousness and holiness and purity and truth of God. There is no darkness. That means there is no deception, there is no evil, there is nothing bad in God at all. Only light, His light, shines and dispels the darkness, right? God is light. So we see the character of God presented. That's part of the message. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. Now, I want you to see what's happening. And this actually happens three times, but I'm going to show it to you in this verse. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. So here we are. I'm, an, I'm a cultural Christian. I'm saying I fellowship with God. I'm an American. I must have a relationship with God, right? I mean, we're a Christian nation. What, what, what is that belief? What is that perspective? What is that leading to? It's leading to me lying. It's, incompreh- it's, it's incongruent. It, it, it won't mesh. It's, it's completely, it, it's completely uh, oppo- opposite or opposing to what God is. God is light. There is no darkness. If I can sit here and lie to you about my relationship with him, I must be uh, uh, in the dark. I must not be telling the truth. I must not be authentic. He says if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. So our lie, is that's a bad work, right? We do not practice the truth. But, he says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Here's a good thing we get to enjoy. Here's a good thing that works out in our life. If we walk in the light, if we are who we say we are, we believe this message, we walk in the light, that means that we enjoy fellowship with Him. It's a good thing that comes as a result of this. And he says the the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves again. It's a lie. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. That's a good work that comes out of believing that Jesus is the way. Confession. I'm a sinner. And if you spend much time around me, you're going to find out I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm a sinner trusting in a Savior. I hope as I spend time with you that that's the same thing I'll find. That you are a sinner who's trusting in a Savior and believing in this message. That leads you to confess your sin and receive His forgiveness. You see how this belief then leads us to these good things. To doing these good works. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, maybe the worst part of it all, maybe the, maybe the most grotesque thing we can do, we don't just prop ourselves up. If we say we have not sinned, we call God a liar. So what you're saying is this God who is light, there is no darkness in Him at all. If you have the goal to say, I don't sin. You've not just lied to yourself and everyone around you, but you have actually defamed God. You have sought your own glory over Him. You have exalted yourself as the one who bears truth and, and determined that there is darkness in God. Is that where you want to be? You see, a belief in this message leads us to a confession of our need for Him. The beauty of it is, The beauty of it is, is that's not the only thing we see in this. He shows us, John shows us in this message, how we come to be cleansed from our sin and made righteous. The blood of Jesus. We are sinners, but we're brought from the darkness and into light. As our sin is forgiven, our, our, our unrighteousness is cleansed, and we are then able to enjoy the fellowship of the Father. As we confess our sins, it says He is faithful, meaning He will do it. He, he'll follow through. It's a promise He will come through on. He, it's a check that you can take to the bank and count on it clearing. He is just, meaning that not, not simply that He's going to be fair, He's going to be right. And he's going to remain just as he forgives your sins because Jesus took that sacrifice and cleansed you, or took that payment, sacrificing in your place for your sin and cleansed you. You see, you're made righteous by his death and God remains just because Jesus did it for us. You see, all of these things, all of these things, this message is so important. But if we're really believing it, if we are really believing it, we won't won't just receive the benefit of it. It will affect what we do day to day. Good works may not be the root of authentic Christianity, but they are the result of authentic Christianity or a real faith in real Jesus. And and this isn't the only place you see it. John, I told you that John shows us this over and over in his letter. He says in in 1 John 2.4, it says this, Whoever says, I know him, speaking of, I know Jesus, I know God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. There's an earmark here. There's an earmark of what authentic Christianity looks like in life. This is how this faith, this belief, Plays itself out. You believe that the chair will hold you, so that plays itself out by you sitting down in the chair, right? Here's what believing in Jesus, how it begins to play itself out and be practically applied in life. Authentic Christians strive to live in obedience to the commands of Christ. So that means if we're going to claim faith in Christ, we can't then turn around and live uh, just in open and rebellious sin against the Father. Again, I'm not telling you you won't sin. I'm not telling you that you won't struggle with sin. But what I'm saying is you will have a desire to do something different. Authentic Christians don't deny their sin, but they won't excuse, celebrate, or wallow in it either. 1 John 3, 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. See here's, the, here's what happens. A person becomes a believer. they're converted, God makes them new, they're a whole new creature. They used to be sinners. Now they're saints, but there's a reality that that is a position that we've been given that is not yet made complete. When do you get your when, when will sin no longer be a struggle for you when Jesus returns? When he comes back, gives you your glorified body, you will be made sinless completely and totally, not just in position, but practically as well. And so, but but here's the deal. Here's the deal. What he says is we won't keep on sinning, we won't make a practice of sinning. That means that your pattern of your life, the way that you live, the things that you do, will not be practiced or or marked by sin against God. Rather, your life will look different. So rather than going out and getting drunk every Saturday night, you might sit down and have a drink with friends and talk about Jesus. Rather than jumping in bed with your girlfriend and boyfriend, you'll hold off until marriage. Now, will you be tempted? In this world we live, absolutely, you'll be tempted. But you will strive against it. Will you stumble at times? Probably so. But the mark of your life, the practice of your life will be striving for obedience. Where, where we, we won't excuse our sin. We're not going to deny that we deal with it. But we're not going to excuse it. We're not going to celebrate it. We're not going to prop it up and talk about like in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul gets on to him because they got a guy sleeping with his dad's wife. Oh, and they were celebrating it. Look how gracious we are. You fools. You should kick that dude out, he says. We're not going to celebrate that kind of sin. It's not That's not what we're called to. We're not going to wallow in it. I'm just free to be me now. You know, God saved me. I'll, I'll be better when he makes me better. I'm just going to go ahead and keep on sinning until he takes the desire away. Look, I, I'm all for being real. I don't want you to come here on a Sunday morning. I don't want you to sit in your community groups through the week and put on Sunday go to church faces. I don't want you to show up acting like you got all your junk together. That is a lie. We all know it. And when you come in with your Sunday school answers and all the, all the, all the show and all the presentation of you're this great holy person, and it's easy to see through that. But when you come in humble, contrite, and repentant, always glorifying God because of the salvation He's given you in spite of what you deserve, that's a much different, much more realistic, much more authentic perspective. That's what I'm going to call you to. And, and I hope, I, 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 I pray that that's what you'll call me to. That together we'll walk in this way. But see, here it is. These two evidences of authentic Christianity that John gives us, they they bring us to this point where, again, there's a problem in our contemporary call to Christianity or or to authenticity. Today, the idea that no one wants to be fake, just want to be real, and that's that's celebrated. And so, so these books are written about authentic Christianity, and they're talking about the messiness of life, meaning that it's okay to come in and just be as sinful as you want to be, and people are supposed to accept it the next point tells us that we're to love one another like Jesus loved us. I can't love you like Jesus loved you without coming to you and saying you're in sin. You can't love me like Jesus loved me if you don't come to me and say I'm in sin. I love you enough not to let you wallow in it, not to let you celebrate it. I love you enough that I want His best for you. I want you to enjoy the fellowship of salvation. I want you to enjoy the blessings that God has for you. So let's be real. But as we're being real about our sin, let's be real about our repentance. Third, John shows us authentic Christians love each other the same way Jesus loves us. First John 3, 17. We actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but 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 I want to show it here again. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You see, it's not just about dealing with our sin issues. It's dealing with our physical issues. If if you come here and I find out you're in need and i got a way to help you and I don't do it, then there's something wrong. If God's love is in me, it not only should be actively, sacrificially benefiting me, it should be flowing through me to you. If it's not, the question John asks is, how could God's love be in me? See, God's love is never stagnant. Not even in His believers. Not even in His people. So he asks this question. He challenges us with this perspective. I hope the testimony in my life bears it out. I hope that I set a good example for you. I hope that if you're one that has been blessed by something I've done for you in a physical state, that you'll turn around and, and, and do the same thing for other people. If we won't be these people, if we won't be these people together, if we won't live this authentic life, Christian life together, then what in the world are we calling people to? What in the world are we offering anybody? Just another show. There's enough show out there. There's enough junk that's floating around out there that can leave people hopeless and wanting. This is what we've been called to. This is the authentic Christian life rooted in the authentic Christian message, giving way to the authentic Christian action. This is what we've been called to. We value this. We value it deeply. I value it. And I'm so glad that God convicted me to make sure that it was a part of who we are going to be, that I'm going to lead you in this way. Because in this authentic Christianity, it is the foundation of the fellowship we have with God and with one another. There's no way that we can enjoy fellowship if we're living a lie. Not only can we not have it with God, we can't have it with one another. Oh, I can have a form of it. I can be friends with you to a level, but until you get real and honest about who you are, until I get real and honest about who I am, we are just faking it. We're just putting on a show. We're living in deception. But it's in this authentic Christian life, this authentic Christian message, giving way to authentic Christian action, that we then find the blessings of God. One of those happens to be you and me together. Another of those is having eternal life, having our sins forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Christ. Enjoying the hope of an inheritance that we know is coming. And I'm not talking about hope like the world talks about hope. I'm talking about confident expectation that what he said he will do, he will do. That's biblical hope. You see, all of this comes as a result of our fellowship with the Father. And we value it for that. We value it because of that. But there's another side to this story. See, authentic Christianity, as much as about it is about bringing us together and benefiting us, authentic Christianity really sets its sights on glorifying God and not pleasing man. You see how important it is that John makes sure that that's the case? There is no darkness in him. He is light. He wants his character to shine. And then he makes sure that we don't get out of this deception without realizing that if we are going to tell a lie, then we are actually defaming and de-glorifying God. We're stealing and striving to rob his glory. Authentic Christianity sets its sights on glorifying God and not pleasing man. Now, I, let me just, let me share this with you as an, I think will help illustrate it. Back in 2007, a man named, uh, let me find his name, David Kinnaman wrote a book and it's called UnChristian. And in that book, he cited a, a reference that Barna Research Group had done. I don't know if you've heard of Barna. They do all kinds of Christian studies and they call people all over American poll and try to get a, a, an understanding of the Christian, uh, Christian attitudes and thoughts of, in, in American culture. Well, back in 1996, they did a study. And when they did the study, they went to non-Christians, people who don't believe in Jesus. They went to these unchristians, christians these non-Christians, and they, they asked, ages 16 to 29, they asked them some questions about how they perceived and how they viewed Christian people. In 1996, their, the approval rating of Christians in America in that, in that demographic was 85%. That's pretty high. So here they are. Man, they have a great place in culture. They, they, people appreciate that they're there. But just 10 years later, in 2006, they do this same same survey, and in 10 years, the approval rating of non-Christians, 16 to 29, went from 85% to 15%. That's drastic, right? That's huge. Suddenly, the, the, the vast majority do not appreciate Christian people. And so referencing, referencing this, this book and this study... A guy named Richard Stearns, he's the president of World Vision uh, International, writes an article in the Huffington Post, and this is what he says: When people were asked to describe Christians, adjectives like judgmental, hypocritical, closed-minded, insensitive, too critical, and too political often were, mo- were most often cited. And then he brings in this perspective: We might contrast this list with what the Apostle Paul in Galatians listed as the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, at face value, that sounds really good, doesn't it? We should be people who are loving, people who have joy, people who are at peace. We should be people who are marked by faithfulness and gentleness and goodness and self-control, right? That should be who we are. I mean, that's what the, the fruits of the Spirit. That should mark us. If we're authentic Christians, these these attributes ought to be able to be said about us, right? Yeah, it's true. But I would I, I would I would uh, I would I would suggest try not to get on my soapbox. I would suggest that they are asking the wrong people to want to find out if we are loving, joyful, peaceful, good, gracious, gentle forbearing, and self-control, full of self-control. If these people who they're asking are non-Christians, then they are walking in darkness. They don't even know themselves. They are deceived. They are lost. They are lying to themselves about who they are. Why in the world would we look for their opinion or their approval? That is not what authentic Christianity is about. Authentic Christianity is not a method by which we might garner public approval. Authentic Christianity is a lifestyle that brings great glory to the God who created and then chose to save. That's authentic Christianity. He's the one who determines if you're loving. He's the one who knows what peace is about and joy is about. He's the one who measures self-control in you. He is not the, the one looking to the world and saying, hey, do you think they're peaceful? They don't even know peace. They have no understanding. I think the reality is that the premise of this book is that the Christians have an image problem, and I think he is right. But I think his starting point is wrong. We have an image problem, not because people disapprove of us, but because we do not identify more with our image in Christ than we do with the one that's in the world. And until until we get real about what it is to be an authentic Christian and live in this authentic manner, the world is not going to understand the distinction or difference because here's the reality. Cultural Christians look Christian. Crisis Christians look Christian. Congregational Christians look Christian. The only distinction is what they believe and then why they do what they do. You see, brothers and sisters, I want us to be an authentic church, but not so that people will like us, but so that God will be glorified in us. Let's pray. Father, you're good. You're gracious. We know we don't deserve you. We confess now our sin before you. We confess our need for you. God, would you help us to set aside the the platitudes? Help us to set aside the charade. Help us lean fully and dive headlong into the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. Help us do what we do because we long for you to be glorified in this world. Help us do what we do because we believe you. Because we know you and we're experiencing fellowship with you.